The scripture reading today is Genesis 22, 6 through 8. Abram took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went out together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abram, father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb, but the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. Let us pray. Father, lift up and encourage hearts this morning and mend any broken heart by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm very humbled and frankly quite intimidated this morning as my task is to preach a Father's Day sermon in the presence of men who have more experience, knowledge, and wisdom in the tip of their finger than I have in the whole context of my body when it comes to establishing, raising, leading, and guiding a family. On top of that, raising your children to be children of God all the time trying to eke out a career in your own life. Men and women in the context of marriage working together to raise children and receiving an associate's degree in child rearing when the first child comes along. Then getting your bachelor's degree when the second through 15th child or however many you get come along. By then, you're prepared for your master's degree at the birth of your first grandchild. And those of you who are fortunate enough to see a great-grandbaby, God bless you, for now you've earned your Ph.D. in child-rearing. What am I to say in the odds of such experience? What am I to do? Uh, this really bugged me. So I thought I'd just say who I am in my own life. Take it as you will. Receive it. Throw it away. Whatever you want to do with it. But for me, sometimes I don't like God's word. I, just, I totally disagree with what he's saying. And sometimes I'm saying, what you're saying is not right. And you cannot ask me to do what it says. For instance... How does the Apostle Paul know what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church? He never had a wife. How do you have the audacity to tell me how to love my wife when you never had one? Did you watch all the other disciples and see how they treated their wives? That you come to such a feat that you can write in the scriptures and tell me how I'm supposed to treat my wife? I don't mind the other passages in Ephesians when it comes to man's relationship to the wife obedience and all that kind of stuff but when he has to tell me what to do I have trouble with that and it took me a long time to learn 
and to say, yes, Lord, you're right. I do need to treat my wife better, and I will treat her better. And then I look at Paul when he says, uh, fathers, uh, don't raise your children into wrath. Don't make them mad. Don't tick them off. And I said, man, dude, I really missed a boat on this one. I refused to watch videos while I was bringing my first son up. Man, I was rough on him. I was really rough on him. And my mom said to me after she saw the videos, she said, I want you to know if I was living in Germany with you at that time, I would have knocked your block off for doing my grandson like that. It was rough on me. It was hard. I, I just, I didn't know. And it was real hard for, for me. But from, from two on, I think I did halfway decent, not provoking him to wrath. But we was all about sports. I was all about basketball. I loved basketball. I loved watching my Uncle Johnny play in that 74 team. And my life was all about sports. And I kept pushing sports on him. Sports, sports, sports. And yelling at him and screaming at him. And, man, I really had it out of whack. And I just, it took me a long time to try to get that right. And truthfully, I probably haven't got it right yet. But I'm still working on it uh, in that area. But then there's a couple of scriptures I say, well, you know what? O'Brien didn't do so bad in that one. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's older, he won't depart from it. I think I did pretty good in that. Pass your wisdom on to your son. I would always, every day I come home and I have a set prayer time. And I pray these things like this. Lord, I pray that my sons grow up to be men of God who will love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, I pray that you bring them a godly woman who will love you with all of her soul, mind, and strength and put you first in every aspect of life and honor and respect the role of the husband. That was my prayer for them. And I would teach them. I would say, okay, you're going to sit in the front seat today. This, this day, you're going to be the man of the house. Trying to teach them leadership, responsibility. And I'd say to them, Listen, number one, keep your body pure. You're going to meet the right woman. God's going to bring you the right woman. And I would imagine there's nothing more greater than the two of you being so pure, naturally, keeping your body pure, that when you come together, nothing would ever break that relationship in the context of marriage. I said, keep your mind and your body away from dirty things, things you shouldn't be watching, looking at, reading, studying. Don't put anything in your body that would cause you to hallucinate or go away. Uh, you shouldn't go. Eventually, it's just going to go to a bad road. Those things never lead to a good road for you, son. Run. Then I said, put you some money in the bank. I mean, okay, I'm a hoarder. Hoard it, man. Stuff that joker in the bank. Don't get so far in debt, boys, that you can't enjoy life and go and do what you want to do. Don't do that. Stuff some money in the bank and put it away. Have some morals about you. Be a moral man. Be a hard-working man. And then I said, love your woman. Love her just like the Bible says to love her. And, you know, I, I have two daughter-in-laws and, and a, 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 a next daughter-in-law, I guess you'd want to say, and they, some of them would come up to me and say, hey, Okay, you're going you're gonna to do me like that? I'm going to call your dad. They knew that they could call me and I'd put them jokers in check. I don't want them treating the wife the way I did. I don't want that. But don't we do that as dads? We want our kids to have a better life. 
to be better than what we had, to do better than what we did, we're always going to be a dad. If you're 101 in a nursing home and your son is 88 in a nursing home, neither one of you can hear or move, and you see the nurse do your son wrong at age 101, you'll say to the nurse, I'm taking this cane and I'm going to pop you in the knee if you don't leave my 80-year-old son alone. <laughs> you never quit being a dad. No matter what age you are in life, you always be a dad. And I think for us to live out the Bible, to follow the ways of God, to serve Him, to love Him, to know Him, we have to experience it in life. At some point, the truth of His Word has to be lived out in experience. Is it not true in life when you're growing up, you experience things? That, hey, I don't want to hang out with that crowd. That's not a good crowd. You know what teacher you can go to and talk to? You know what uh, things you can do in school, in your work ethic, right? Don't you get promoted or demoted based on your experience and work ethic? It's the same way I believe in the kingdom of God. All these things have to be worked out in the context of experience. And so I chose this scripture this morning because I want to ask a question. What kind of experiences did Abraham have that he would take his promised child and say, I'm putting you on this altar, and I'm going to cut you up. God said I was to have you as my son, but now he's told me I'm supposed to put you on the altar, and I'm supposed to sacrifice you for the glory of the God that I serve. Why would he do such a thing? What experiences did he have that would make him do such an evil act? Evil in my eyes is the way I'm looking at it. So I want to rehearse some of the things that Abraham went to in his experience of life that brought him to the point of the scripture. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham hears the audible voice of God. God says, now I want you to go. You pick up your family and you go. He picks up his nephew, he takes his wife, and he starts heading south. As he's going south, he comes across the famine. You just said you're going to bless me and make me a great nation, and now you're sending the starving me to death. So he goes down into Egypt. The Egyptians see his wife is a very good-looking lady. They take her away from him, and she's going to go to Pharaoh to be his wife. And Abraham says, now listen, when you go see Pharaoh, say you're my sister. If you say you're my wife, they're going to kill me. And I can't have that. So when you go, don't tell him you're my wife. Tell him you're my sister. In Genesis 13, Lot's men in his tribe get in a fight with Abraham and his tribe. They're battling over this land. So they get in a big fight. And Abraham says to him, now listen. You pick out what you want, nephew. Wherever you go, I'll go the opposite and I'll be okay with that. And of course, Lot, like any young man, look, he looks at the natural, sees the land is all plush, it's all glorious, and everything's beautiful, and he says, I want that land. Abraham says, no big deal. I'll just take this old nasty land because I believe God is with me. So they split and they go their separate ways. Then in Genesis chapter 14, some kings come against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they capture him. Lot and his family goes into captivity to be slaves. Abraham hears about it, and now he's got to go build his nephew out. 
He took the blessed plan. He took what he thought was for us. He found it. It wasn't so hot being out of the will of God and fighting with his uncle. So now Abraham has to get an army together. He takes his army down there, and he releases Lot and his family, and they come back. Genesis chapter 15, God promises Abraham a child. I'm going to give you a child, and I'm going to bless you, Abraham. But before I do that, let me give you a dream. Here's your dream, Abraham. For 400 years, the people I'm going to bless, I'm going to make them slaves. I would have rejected that dream in a split minute. Give me part A where I'm going to be blessed, but don't tell me my loved ones are going to go into captivity and be slaves. And God said, yes, they're going to go and they're going to be slaves for 400 years. In Genesis 16, God tells him he's going to have a baby. His wife looks at him, Sarah, and says, hey, you're an old man. I'm an old lady. We ain't having no kid. I got an idea, Abraham. Go over there to Hagar. She's a nice-looking young woman. Have my child through her. Well, I mean, Abraham got permission. He ain't crazy. I'll go with Hagar. That's what you want me to do? He totally misunderstood the will of God for his life. Hagar gets pregnant, and now Hagar gets mad at Sarah and says, I'm looking down on you because you can't have a baby, and I can, and you're no woman of God. Back in those days, the, the women, not to give a, a birth for the husband, was a bad, bad, bad deal. So Hagar is jumping all over Sarah. Gets all mad about it. And then Sarah comes back to Abraham and says, I know I told you to do this, but you're wrong. <laughs> Why did you go and do such an evil? Now our family's all tore up. This lady can't stand me. She's got your baby in there now. Our family's all mixed up and jimmied up. What are you doing to my family, she asked him. And he didn't say, you told me so. <laughs> he said, that your servant do what you want to with her. Sarah says, fine. Kicks her out of the family. Abraham's future son kicked out of the family. So Hagar now goes off. What in the world's happening here? I didn't do nothing wrong. And God says to Hagar, go back and be submissive to Sarah, and I will make a great nation of your son. So she goes back. Chapter 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham, the covenant of circumcision, and he has all of his males circumcised. Chapter 18, three angels come to him, and they say to him, you're going to have a son, and you're going to have a son through Sarah. And it says, the Bible says that Sarah laughed, and you know, can I really have a son at this point? And then he says, I can't leave what I'm about to do, Abraham, because you're my servant and I know you love me. I'm sorry, but i got to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to tear them apart. And Abraham steps back and says, you're a God of love and mercy and kindness. Why? How are you going to kill your own people? And then he says, would you kill the righteous with the unrighteous? Are you just going to count them all as evil and kill them all? And Abraham says, Lord, I'm sorry to ask you, but I do need to ask you a question. If there's a hundred righteous people in this town, you'll kill them? He said, no. He said, I've got to ask you another question. If there's 50, if there's 20, if there's 10, if there's one. He said, no, I won't. So Abraham goes in, and Lot does not want to leave. He escapes. And God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19. 
Then in chapter 20, he comes across another king, Abimelech. Does the same thing he does to the king of Egypt. He tells Sarah, you're my sister. Why didn't he say, you're my wife? It was a half-truth. You know, men, I like half-truths when I'm at work. If I need to get out of a pickle, I might tell a half-truth. It's not a lie, so you can't get on me. I'm just following the wisdom of Abraham. I'm just, I'm taking the truth, but shading it my way. And this is what he did. He said, now you, you tell him that uh, you're my sister. And Abimelech says, why did you do that? Why did you lie to me? He says, because I knew you wouldn't fear God. And you would have killed me. And you had no fear of God in your eyes. And so Abimelech says, get him and get out of here. Then in chapter 21, now we got a real fight going on. Ishmael's grown up. We now have Isaac. Isaac and Ishmael are fighting. Hagar is fighting with Sarah. Everything's going wrong. And the leader of the house, the man of the house says, I've really messed this all up. I've got kids everywhere. I've got women everywhere. They're fighting. They're bickering and arguing. This thing is not working right. And Sarah says, we've got to get rid of Hagar and the baby. They've got to go. How could Abraham do that to his son? Kick him out of his family and do such a thing. And God says, don't worry. I have a plan for him. I have a will for his life. And I'm really going to do something with this uh, young man, Ishmael. So Ishmael goes and he has a great family. God calls Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And everything went downhill afterwards. It's fighting with the family. It's bickering with the family. It's not knowing which way to go. It's not understanding the will of God or misinterpreting the will of God. Don't we do that? We misunderstand, we misinterpret, and we say, I've messed this whole situation up. My experience and the truth of this word is not coming together. And then we come to Genesis 22. And I see three things Abraham does, I believe, will help us today as fathers. The first thing he did is, I think he believed God. Isaac asked him a question. He says, Dad. I see the things we need out here, but I don't see the sacrifice that needs to be made. Where's the lamb? And Abraham believed God. Do I think he jumped for joy and said, God is great, God is good, my son, he's going to provide it? No, I believe he was crying in his heart. In the deep down in the soul of his being, he's saying, you got to be my God. You have to be my Lord. My life has been a wreck since you called me, since you said you was going to bless me. It's just been all mixed up. Everything's all confused. But now I need you to be my Lord and my God, and I believe in you. And he looks at his son, and he says to his son, God will provide the sacrifice. He believed God. Secondly, I believe he had faith in God. The Bible said in that verse that he put the wood upon his only son. The wood to make the sacrifice. He put it on his boy. The one that he loved. He said, here, carry this wood to the altar. He had faith that God would take care of him and would take care of his son. Why would you put your son through such a mess? He believed and he had faith that God would take care of him and his boy. The third thing I see is that Abraham done is he trusted God. He told Isaac, he said, let's go on up to that mountain where I'm going to have to do this terrible deed. 
He takes him up there. He lays him on the altar. I, I just couldn't imagine it, how hard it would be to have your son there. You've believed this God you've never seen. You've had faith in this God. You, he's, he's brought you out of stuff and delivered you stuff, brought you through things, and he's blessed you, but now he's asking you to do the unthinkable. He lays him on the altar, and when he gets ready to do the deed, God says to him, Abraham, what are you doing? He says, don't you know I love you by now? He says, look, there's a ram caught in the thicket. That's your sacrifice. He trusted. He believed God. He had faith in God. And he trusted God. I think this is all buried out in the book of Hebrews. In our own life. And in the life of Abraham. That Hebrew says, if you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Abraham believed. Believed God would reward him. You and I have to do the same thing. We have to believe that he is, that he exists, and that he's there, and that he will reward us. We have to believe it. Secondly, we have to have faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1. faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He never saw the sacrifice. He never saw what God was going to do. God didn't tell him about the famine. God didn't show him every little thing that was going on in his life. He just stepped out and had faith in God. This is what Paul says in Hebrews. He stepped out and he believed and he had faith in God and he would take care of him. That's why he's called the father of faith. He believed and he had faith. You and I, we must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe him, have faith in him, that he's going to work it out in our families. He's going to work it out in our spouses. He's going to work it out in our children. He's going to do it because he's the Lord God Almighty. And you must have faith in that holy word that he's going to do it. Third, we must trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own, under, your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You've got to trust God in your marriage. You've got to trust God in your children. You're going to say things and do things that's going to be hard for your son or daughter to hear. I never had daughters so I don't know about that. But you're going to put them through things that maybe they don't want to go through. And you're going to want to fix it. All dads want to fix everything. That's what we do. We fix stuff. But you can't fix it, man. It ain't going to work. You cannot fix a broken heart. You cannot fix a broken relationship. All you can do is trust God and pray to God and do what you know to do in your experience, in your knowledge, in your wisdom, and in the Word of God. You must trust Him with your children. Trust Him with your spouse. Trust Him in all aspects of your life. He is trustworthy, and you can do it. You've experienced His goodness. You've experienced His love. You've experienced His mercy. You know His Word is true. You know He's true because He's changed your life. You have experienced Him. And now you're living it to the best of your ability. You must lay it all down and say, I give it to you. That don't mean you don't talk to Him. That you go help Him. That you reach out to Him. It means you're there for Him, man. 
I'm there for you, dude. I'm there for you, daughter. You do need to get your act together. You do need to get it right. Well, Dad, you used to listen to ACDC. You listened to all that. Oh, I sure did. Wish I wouldn't have. Can't do nothing about it now. And heard me, when she heard me listening to it when I was really struggling, she says, there you go again. Before you know it, you're going to want to start drinking all over again, and then you're really going to go bad, and then I'm out the door. It never leads to any good in your heart, and if you're truthful with yourself, I believe you would agree with it. It takes you totally away from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, no matter what it is. You've experienced it. You lived it out. You know what you've been through. God has put you in there. He's gave you all these things in life for you to teach it to your kids, men. There's nothing wrong with being the leader of the house. There's nothing wrong with being a man. There's nothing wrong with being a godly man and leading your children right. There's nothing wrong with it, and I'll never apologize for it. I just won't. Because God has so changed me. I know he can change my family. I know he can change my boys. I know he can change everything. But he first has to fix Brian. And that comes in belief, believing in him, even when you mess it up, man. Have faith in him. Speak to him. Read that word. Get in there. And then trust him in all aspects of your life. I really, truly believe God will take care of it. Men, I'm sure you're doing a fantastic job. There can be no greater blessing than having kids. No matter what happens in their life, there can be no greater blessing to having kids come your way. Even when you mess it up and jimmy it all up, it's the blessing of God. Let us just work it out for him and for his glory. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And God is a fixer. He can fix us. He can fix it all. We just got to believe, have faith, and trust in him. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you this morning for the life of Abraham and all the experiences he had in life. And I'm sure it was gut-riching for him. All the trials and things you put him through, God, he was just trying to find his way in serving and following you. And then again in our Lord Jesus Christ, he was also finding his way. He was serving you, and he was loving you, and he was doing his best. And he went to that old rugged cross, and he rose again. And he gives us life, and he calls it life more abundantly. Now, we're, as men, we're, we're struggling too, Lord. We're going through life and experiences, and we're trying to lead our families right, trying to grow them up in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. But I suspect most of us always remember maybe all the bad things, but God heal that mess because you're a good, loving, kind, gracious God. Bless these men. Bless their homes. Bless their kids. Bless their grandkids. Bless their great-grandkids, Lord. Bless every aspect of their life so that they know they can believe, have faith, and trust in you because, Lord, you truly are a good God. I ask you to hear this prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a gift for the men in the back that you'll be given for the fathers during Father's Day. Thank you.